Hey, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church Wood Forest. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. Our mission at Restoration is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So that happens in a lot of ways, but on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open the word of God and we explore the application and the truth of how God's word can be applied to our lives. And so today, I hope that you enjoy this message from God's word. Hey, we don't want this in any way to be a replacement for church. Let it be a supplement for you. But if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us any week at 8 o'clock, 945, and 1130. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Restoration. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be in the Psalms. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 37. Uh, we're going to be uh, kind of on a journey through several of the Psalms over the next six weeks. Uh, true confession, uh, pastoring is hard. Pastoring is hard. So uh, when we started in June of 2014, I was coming out of a season of brokenness. I never wanted to be a pastor and felt like I was kind of uh, uh, called and kind of thrust into this position. And uh, since we started, it's been like uh, drinking from a fire hydrant, changing a tire while you're driving down the road, just whatever, whatever analogy you want to put in there. But it's been very difficult because we're a non-denominational church, which means that there's a clash of cultures. There are different uh, streams of theology. Uh, every person in this room, you bring your own spiritual theology slash baggage into the room. And uh, because of that, it's just sometimes it's hard right? It's hard because everybody's got an opinion. I love you. Um, and, and, and you have an opinion. And uh, last year, there were uh, a, a few people that had opinions, and then the opinions uh, that were theological differences got a little bit personal. And um, I really, I ended up really hurt, like just feeling the weight of, uh, I guess, people pleasing and uh, began to question my call, began to question, wait, do I really believe what I think I believe? Maybe, maybe uh, that's not true. And so uh, let me say this, uh, these were people that are friends and they weren't the enemy, but the enemy was using them to chip away at my resolve. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. People that you're close to that they're not the enemy and yet uh, the enemy can use them to kind of chip away. And uh, man, that's how it was impacting me. And so uh, a few counseling sessions later, um, I began to kind of take a deep breath and recognize um, what was going on. But um, here's where the enemy tended to work on me. As, as people would say, that's wrong, that's wrong. Then the, the enemy's like, well, you're not really educated enough. Um, which is kind of true, actually. Um, uh, I've, I've told you guys, I left North Texas, University of North Texas as a fifth-year sophomore, and so uh, uh, that tells its own story. But, but feeling uh, uh, theologically uh, inadequate, and all this was doing was feeding that fire. And then I end up in this crisis of faith. Do I stand or do I fold? Anybody ever felt that way? Like you wake up one morning and you're like, oh, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. Do I stand or do 
I fold. And so... I, I seriously just peed one drop. <laughs> that, that freaked me out, y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? I, I don't know. Yvonne's usually my barometer, whether it's appropriate to say, and she was shaking her head. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what I was about to say was, um, I don't have a hard time standing against obvious evil. And when we look at the culture today, uh, it's very easy to see evil, right? To see evil people doing evil things, wrong things. We look at a culture gone amok, and it's not hard for me to stand in that gap. It is that, that subtlety where the enemy just kind of chips away at your resolve and takes you to a place where you begin to, to question the deeper things of life. Um, so this is life in the kingdom of God. At the end of every service, we say this, wherever we go, <laughs> by the way, that was a pop quiz. Most of you failed, all right? So, so wherever we go, the kingdom goes with us, which means this, as followers of the way of Jesus, we are not thermometers. We don't check the temperature and then figure out who we need to be in the moment. No, as people the way of Jesus, we step into every situation and we are thermostats. We set the temperature, not because of us, but because of Jesus in us. So here is the problem. When the enemy chips away at your resolve over and over and over again, when you begin to believe the, uh, the lie that evil is winning and that you're losing in some way, what is that causing you? It causes fear. And what does fear do? It causes you to shrink back. And then you become the thermometer. You become the person that's kind of afraid to move forward and becomes tentative. And I'll just confess to you, there were seasons over the last year that I've been that, like a little off kilter. But thank God for his grace Thank God for his mercy. Thank God that, that he, he presses in to those weak areas of my life and says, hey, listen, Greg, there's a spiritual inheritance for you if you will just lean into it. There's something that I'm going to do. There's something that I've already done that if you'll just lean into it, there is incredible power. Because the truth of the matter is, when you said yes to Jesus, you have the DNA of Jesus coursing through your veins. The power of God is coursing through your veins. How many of you believe that today? Amen. Yeah, so here's the question. If you really believe that, is it changing the way you live? Is it changing the way you're engaging culture? Is it changing the way you're living into a world that is uh, just full of evil intent? 
I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say we're in a rough time as a nation right now, right? That we're sliding toward moral relativism. Uh, things that we thought were a given are now being redefined. And we look at it and we go, God, where are you in this? And it's so easy for us as people of the kingdom to allow the enemy to kind of pick a fight with us. When the truth of the matter is, he's already been defeated, y'all. And so we've got to begin to look and lean forward into what it means to live this kingdom life, what it means to live with a kingdom spiritual inheritance. So how do we move from fear to courage? How do we move to a place where we are fully receiving and living into the way of Jesus in a transformative way? Psalm 37, we're going to get a clear picture of the shelf life of evil, which is brief, the shelf life of evil, which is momentary, and then we're going to see this series of snapshots of who inherits the land, who gets a spiritual inheritance, what is the type of person, and how do they do it. So King David wrote this psalm, and What he's talking about is a physical land inheritance. So we'll see this phrase, inherit the land. He's talking about the blessing, the Abrahamic blessing and covenant. If you remember, if you were with us during Genesis, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. You're gonna get uh, descendants beyond the sand on the seashore, beyond the stars in the sky. I'm gonna give you land. I am going to bless you. And so that blessing, that covenantal blessing has been passed down and passed down and passed down. So what David is talking about in Psalm 37, is inheriting the land and inheriting physical location and it expanding, expanding their territory. However, today, in light of Jesus, it becomes something bigger. It's a kingdom inheritance, meaning that evil can never overtake me because I'm living in the reality that the kingdom of heaven is in me in me, not near me, in me. Remember we talked about in Hebrews that we've got to shift our focus from uh, this idea of being a Christian means I go to heaven when I die to now it's not that I go to heaven but that heaven comes and dwells within me. Heaven right here, right now. Okay, so let's look through this passage. I'm gonna trace Three, tre- three threads, that's hard to say, three threads. So I want you to follow me through these three threads and we're gonna jump through this passage and we're gonna see, number one, evil has no future. Number two, we're gonna see who inherits the land and three, how the land is inherited. Okay, so the first thing we see in Psalm 37, uh, David clearly states that evil people have a short shelf life. And this is not new information. Uh, Genesis chapter three. Do y'all remember what happened? Genesis chapter three, Adam, Eve, serpent, apple, fruit. And, uh, and, and, and the, the fruit is eaten immediately. Sin enters the world. And immediately God speaks to the serpent. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Who is the offspring? Jesus He will crush your head, you will strike his heel. So as soon as evil enters the world, immediately God says, I have a solution. 
and the solution is Jesus. So from the beginning, when evil enters, God says, hey, you have a shelf life. It will be short-lived. He is a defeated foe. Okay, look at verse one. It says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass, they will soon wither like green plants. They will soon die away. Those who do wrong will wither like grass, fade, fade away like green plants. Uh, if you were around last summer, it seems like that history is repeating itself. Uh, it didn't rain from like mid-June through October, I think. And uh, you couldn't put enough water on your lawn. And so eventually, if you were like me, I just gave up and let it all turn brown, right? Anybody else? Yeah, and so maybe you're too prideful for that, but I wasn't. And so, uh, uh, yeah, everybody's lawn was really, really suffering, and, and everything kind of turned brown. Why? Because grass fades. Even the healthiest of lawns, when it's winter, it goes dormant, and it turns brown. Green plants. I've got these Japanese blueberry trees along our back fence. Snowpocalypse 2021 took them out. We had to chop them down about two foot high and then they started growing again. It was incredible. They got back up over the fence, froze this last uh, February. Was it February? It was sometime at the beginning of the year. They died again. Now they're this big. Seriously, they're these little bitty bushes. Green plants, they fade away. That's the thing. We look at things that are here today and gone tomorrow. And he's saying, that's what evil is. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Look at verse 9. For those who are evil will be destroyed. Verse 10, a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. They will be destroyed. A little while, the wicked will be no more. So that phrase, a little while. What does a little while mean? Yeah, we've been through this, haven't we? Well, he went through uh, uh, Revelation, and then again in Hebrews, there are these kind of time indicators that we're supposed to be uh, living with a sense of urgency because the time is near. What does near mean? At least 2,000 years. <laughs> so we don't know what, what time, time is so relative in the mind of God. So God never tires. God just says, hey, it'll be what it'll be. And in a little while, I'm going to take care of evil. But here's what we know. Evil never stands. It never stands. It's cyclical. If you just follow generations uh, of, of dictators who have risen and fallen, things that seem like they were moving in one direction, and then they're over. He says, evil will be destroyed. And in a little while, look for them. They will be no more. Verse 13 the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. Now it feels a little mocking, doesn't it? That evil seemed like it's gaining ground, and, and, and the Lord just goes, oh, you're so cute. Um, why does he laugh? Because he knows that their day of destruction is coming. Verse 14. The wicked draw the sword, bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways are upright, but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. So if you're following in the news, yesterday there was an insurrection uh, in Russia, uh, just right in the middle of the war of Ukraine. There's this little faction that went rogue and they were marching toward Moscow. Did anybody read about this? 
and, and uh, they were angry and they were gonna go overthrow the government. And it says a lot of the Russian military was like backing off, just kind of letting them go. And they had to uh, kind of negotiate a peace deal so that they would stand down. And all I could think about was this verse. It's like, what does it say? It says their swords will pierce their own hearts. So many times things fall from within, right? Even in the church. That, that we can be just the meanest people inside the church, gossiping, backbiting, freezing each other out. Maybe there's a better way. Verse 20, but the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like flowers of the field, they will be consumed, they will go up in smoke. That's very apocalyptic. Uh, if you read through the book of Revelation, the, the, the wicked, the evil, uh, when the time comes, when it's time for them to be no more, they will be no more. They will be consumed, they will go up like smoke. Verse 22, the Lord bless, those the Lord blesses, will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. Verse 36. So verse 35, I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. He's basically saying what he said earlier. I looked and they couldn't be found. Uh, it seemed like evil was winning. It seemed like they were doing really well and they were flourishing. Has anybody ever been frustrated because you see somebody that's flourishing and you're like, what the heck? That makes no sense to me. Like, why are they, why are they getting what they're getting? They don't deserve that. And you take that to the Lord. He goes, oh, I was kind of thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> Humility. <laughs> Seemingly flourishing, but soon passes away. So here's the clear picture that we trace through Psalm 37. Evil has a shelf life. It has a shelf life. In our culture today, evil seems to be gaining territory. And what does that elicit in us? Fear. We see evil in the world. We see wrong things. We see things moving in a direction that we're not particularly comfortable with, right? Uh, and, and we're like, oh my gosh, uh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of where things might be headed. And what happens is when fear takes hold, we begin to make irrational decisions. Anytime that you're motivated by fear, you're never gonna make the decision that God wants you to make. And we're invited to move from fear to courage. Because remember, the enemy's already been defeated. Remember that event called the cross? He is a defeated foe. Jesus conquered death, sin, and hell through the cross. The enemy's defeated. All he's got is propaganda. And so now what he's doing is he's taking as many people out with him because he knows he's on his way out. Amen. But here is the truth of the matter. We're more in tune with the voice of the enemy than we are the voice of God because we live in so much insecurity and so much fear that he speaks and I'm like, oh, that kind of sounds right actually. And he coaxes us 
in subtle ways and pulls us away from the assignment that God has placed in our lives. And the truth of the matter is 1 John 4, 4 says this, greater is the one that is in you than he that is in the world. When you said yes to Jesus, now you have the spirit of the living God coursing through your veins. You have authority over the enemy. Not because of you and your mad skills, but because of Jesus in you. You now have authority over the enemy. The kingdom's already advancing and the enemy knows it. So evil, it has a shelf life. I don't know what that shelf life is. Again, that's up to God. But I don't need to be focused on evil. Instead, I can be focused on the kingdom inheritance that he wants to give me. So I say this a lot, but let me just remind you, we're all either running towards something or away from something. So if you're running from something, it's going to get you. That's just the truth of the matter. If you're always running from something out of fear, just know it will catch you. But we don't run from something. We run toward Jesus and run toward the spiritual inheritance, the kingdom inheritance. He wants to give us the land. He wants to give us everything in front of us. And that is not the prosperity gospel, by the way. That is not, uh, I'm not saying what's in front of you is a Mercedes. I'm saying what's in front of you is peace of mind, that you begin to see the world in a new way, that you begin to see evil as opportunity, opportunity to step in and be hope and peace and love. So this phrase, inherit the land, it's mentioned six times in this passage, giving characteristics of the one who inherits the kingdom. The one who inherits the land. The one who inherits the kingdom. So here are pictures of the ones who inherit the kingdom. For those who are evil, verse 9, will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will do what? Inherit the land. Those who hope in the Lord. So what is hope in the Lord? Well, it's not crossing your fingers and hoping everything works out. Hope is not a wish. Hope is a confidence. Hope is confidence that God is good no matter what. And I can hope in the Lord because for me, he has a track record of success, both in my lives and in the lives of people that I respect. He hadn't let me down yet, so I'm believing that he's not gonna let me down now. And I can hope based on what he's already done. And it's a confidence that I'm gonna be okay no matter what. But look at verse 11, he presses in a little more. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The meek, what does that mean? What does that word meek mean? I think it's a misunderstood word because for a lot of us, uh, meek, usually uh, we equate it to being conflict averse. Like, you know, something's going on in front of me and I don't want to deal with it, so I swerve, you know. I just kind of stay out of the way of the conflict or maybe it's kind of a little bit weak. Here's the truth of the matter. The word meek actually means strength under control. Woo! I want me some meekness, right? Strength under control, which means uh, it's more of just because I can doesn't mean I should. It's that I have the ability in a moment to do something and yet I stand 
firm and I stand down. It's this strength under control. Jesus lifted this and used it in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember Matthew 5, 5. He says, blessed are the meek for they will what? Inherit the earth. He's saying here, the meek inherit the land, the earth, it's the same thing. And what he's saying is, you win the world, you gain kingdom territory when you stand firm with a quiet strength and a quiet confidence. That's, that's hard for me, y'all, because I am not naturally quiet. Um, I am not light on opinions. Um, I love um, the sound of my voice way too often. Some of you are like, we know, it's 12.30, yo. Um, but the truth of the matter is, meekness says I stand in quiet confidence because it's not about me, it's about him. Verse 18, the blameless spend their day under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure how long? Forever. The blameless the blameless, what, what, is, what is that word? Blameless, I think sometimes when we think blameless, we think perfection, right? And that's what the church has taught us, by the way. Hey, once you say yes to Jesus, um, uh, be perfect, but if you're not, hide your sin, right? Hide that you're not perfect. And what does hiding that you're not perfect do? It leads to shame and more hiding, it leads to a, a, a lie that doesn't actually exist, a life that doesn't actually exist. And so blameless, living a blameless life is not about perfection, it's about pursuit. Yes. It's about pursuing Jesus with the whole heart and when I fail, I raise my hand and I own it. Yes. So uh, we, uh, I would say that transparency is probably our number one value as a church. Uh, I hope that you feel it from the stage on Sundays, but uh, through Regen on Monday nights and through Reengage on Tuesday nights and hopefully through our life group system, we are trying to promote a tell culture, meaning this, listen, I'm gonna tell on myself. Let's tell on ourselves, I'll go first. And so every week, I want you to know I'm a little bit of a mess, but I'm not celebrating my brokenness. I don't stand up here and celebrate my brokenness. I just want to acknowledge that I'm broken and that I'm on a journey to, to, to healing and wholeness. And that is what God wants for you. He wants you to live a blameless life. So uh, I, I said last week, man, if you follow me around for a day, you will be disappointed. I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm going to say something or do something that's just kind of dumb, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, well, we saw that coming. And, um, and, and, and here's what I'll say. I will raise my hand and say, my bad. That's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. I'm not going to be defined by a mistake that I've made. I'm on a journey. That's blameless. That I can lay my head on my pillow at night and say, uh, the enemy doesn't own me. I'm not living in secret. I'm living out in the open. That is a blameless life. Verse 21. The kingdom inheritance comes. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. So generosity. Generosity. Uh, fear causes you to hold on tight. 
but, but those with a kingdom inheritance live open-handed. You realize that your time is not yours, but the Lord's. Your talents are not yours, but the Lord. Your treasures are not yours, but the Lord's. And you're living life in an open-handed way, being generous in every way. That is part of a kingdom inheritance, living with a heart of generosity. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The righteous inherit the land. What does righteous mean? What does it mean to be righteous? It's right standing with God. And Paul speaks to that in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, when he says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be called the righteousness of God. So Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on your behalf so that you could be called righteous. That in Jesus, when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you and go, "Mm." wow, John, mm, buddy. That's a bad example. You're the most righteous person I know. But I look at it. John is not righteous because of himself. He's righteous because of the Jesus in him. Jesus makes him the righteousness of God. And he says that those who are righteous dwell in the land, how long? Forever. So while evil has a shelf life, man, righteousness is eternal. It goes beyond whether I'm good or whether I'm bad. The righteousness of God is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And it has eternal value. Okay, finally, verse 34. It's the last time he mentions it. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. Keep his way. Keep his way. What does it mean to keep his way? It's living according to the pages of this book. It's living the way of Jesus. It's like, hey, listen, uh, my way leads to death. His way leads to life. I get to choose. My way will ultimately lead me into an evil place, a dark place. His way always leads me into light. Keeping his way, putting into practice the way of Jesus. And through that, I inherit the land. There's a spiritual inheritance right there for the taking. This is simply living like Jesus did. So how would we know how Jesus lived? It's right here. It's literally right here. Remember those bracelets in the 90s? WWJD? Yeah, it was kind of cheesy and a marketing ploy, but at the end of the day, We could all use that, right? That in every situation, we're like, hey, I wonder what Jesus would have done in this situation. And then we open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we discover what he actually did. And then we live out of the pages of this book. We live the way of Jesus, and we keep his way. And so who inherits the land? Well, those who hope, the meek, the blameless, the generous, the righteous, those that keep his way, but now he's going to get real practical. How do I live into this kingdom inheritance? How do I live in such a way that I inherit the land? 
So here's just some practical things that know this. You don't do these things in order to get the kingdom inheritance. Because you are living from Jesus, these are natural byproducts. So you can check yourself on how you're doing. I failed in several of these. Okay, so number, number one, verse one, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. So right off the bat, he says, don't fret. Don't envy. What is fret? Don't fret. Nobody says that anymore. (laughs) Don't freak out. Yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be filled with anxiety. We're the most anxious nation on the planet, right? We're scared about everything. And he says, don't fret when you see evil people doing evil things. That almost feels like that we're supposed to expect that evil people will do evil things. And he said, I'm not inviting you to worry about it. No, you're living in a transcendent way. If you don't see the world through the lens of Jesus, you're always going to give way to fear. And he says, don't envy. Does everybody know what envy is? It's being jealous and wanting what somebody else has. And and let's, let's be honest. Sometimes we look at evil people and we kind of want what they have. We want their status. We want their power. We want their money. We don't like how they got there, but we're like, oh, if I could kind of overlook that. <laughs> this is don't fret and don't envy. If you envy the status of those who are living contrary to the way of Jesus, it will drive your decision making toward building your own kingdom. Verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So now he's getting into sheep and shepherd speak, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. What is trust? Man, I'm trusting that God is good no matter what. No matter what. Even when I don't get my way, God's still good. Some of you are out right now, right? That's it. You only trust God when you get your way. If that is, if that is how you see God, if, if God is only good when you get your way, he is not good. Because God lives outside of our time and lives outside of our purposes for his own glory and for his own purposes in his own time. And so we have to trust if things aren't going my way, God must be up to something. But he says that when you trust and do good, and know that he's good no matter what, says you will enjoy safe pasture. So this is the idea of Psalm 23. I want to unpack it, but the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The good shepherd leads his sheep into safe pasture what he does and you know what sheep are dumb (laughs) we need a good shepherd we need to trust that he's got our best interest at heart and so if you're the most intellectual person in the room uh, at the end of the day you're a sheep (laughs) All all right verse four Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Maybe one of the more misquoted verses in all the Bible. 
Delight yourself in the Lord, but we love the last part. He will give you the desires of your heart. I'll guarantee you there is a church that preached this passage this morning that told the people that are standing in front of them that they deserve a white Mercedes, right? You just hang on because God's got that for you. Maybe. We love the second part, hate the first part. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean, to delight yourself in the Lord? It means that you spend time in the secret place being with Jesus, just being with him. No agenda. It's not you showing up to ask for stuff. It's you just showing up to be. It's day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, building this relationship with the Lord. And it's not out of a choice of just sheer discipline. For some of you, if I were to ask for a show of hands, probably half the room, and that's probably generous, would raise your hand and say, I spend daily time with the Lord. And then if I said, keep your hand up if you enjoy it, probably cut in half. Because for a lot of us, we're spending time with the Lord out of some duty or discipline and not a delight to say, Jesus, I love you. And here's what happens. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more our desires, our affections, our pursuits begin to change. So this verse Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will because he'll change your desires to align with his. And over time, you begin to love the things that he loves and pursue the things that he pursues. I think you intuit that, don't you? As a follower of Jesus, how many of you would say, hey, since I've been following Jesus, I don't really think the way I used to think or do the things I used to do? Yeah, if that's not a part of your life, if you're like, well, I trust Jesus so I wouldn't go to hell and I'm just trying to get it right, um, you probably need to go back to square one. Because at the end of the day, again, it's not about getting to heaven, it's about getting heaven in you. And when heaven's in you, it changes everything. Delight yourself in the Lord. Verse five, he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Commit your way. This is a picture of steadfastness, that you step into it and you stand firm in it. You're committed. You know people that are committed? People that are determined? that are gonna stand and say, listen, I am committing my way to the Lord. What does he say happens? He says, your reward will shine bright like a diamond. It'll shine bright. It's gonna, it's gonna man, it's Matthew 5, 14, when he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Remember, Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And now he's saying in Matthew 5, because I'm the light of the world and I'm in you, you are now light. He says, when you commit your way to me, what happens over time is you begin to radiate my goodness to the world around me. How much of that is about you? Eh. No, you're light because he's light. Your light never shines brighter than when you're delighting 
yourself in him, when you're committing your way to him. And then he says, hey, I'll also vindicate you. And when my life fell apart in 2010, um, that was a very tough season in my life, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, I was owning my stuff, but there were things that were being said that just weren't true. And you all know that in the absence of the full story, you just kind of fill in the blanks and usually go to the worst possible place. And so uh, there was uh, this season when I would hear this misinformation, people would call me and say, hey, did this happen? And I'm like, well, why do you need to know, first of all? And um, second of all, uh, I, I felt this need to vindicate myself. And every day, as I was in the secret place with Jesus, he would say, Greg, vindication's mine, not yours. If you see reputation, you're gonna lose it. It's not your battle to fight. Vindication's mine. So he says, commit your way to the Lord and you will shine your righteous reward. You will be a trophy of God's grace that will shine in the culture and I will be your vindicator like the noonday sun. Okay, verse seven, I gotta hurry. Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Now, here's where we're getting into the meat. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So, I'm not patient by nature. I, I just, I wanna get after it, right? And so when we see evil in the world, what is our inclination? To attack. We got to eradicate evil. And he's been talking all through this about evil people doing evil things and that evil has a shelf life. And then he says, it's such a strange thing. Be still. Wait patiently for him. That's hard. It reminds me of Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles 2015. God said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, because of the evil that's coming on you, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Please hear me. So often we are fighting a battle that God's like, I never asked you to fight that. It's my battle, not yours. I'm inviting you to stand, to be still, to be silent and patiently wait for me. How long? As long as it takes. Patiently wait for him. Exodus 14, 14. Remember, uh, Moses, the children of Israel, they're up against the Red Sea. Here comes the enemy. And what does he say? The Lord will fight for you. You need only do what? Be still. Just be still. Is this counterintuitive to anybody besides me? I mean, I'm like a little fighting chihuahua, right? I mean, it's like, back me up against the wall. I'm just gonna come out swinging. And he's like, no, I'm inviting you to take a step back to be still, to patiently wait 
on what I'll do. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Ephesians 6.10, we know it as the armor of God. And he starts, he's finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's right. Be strong in his mighty power. And then what does he say? Put on the full armor of God. I'm in so that you can take your what? Stand. Stand. Uh, I mean, feels like we're slowing down a little. Against the devil's schemes. Then he goes on to define our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And then he goes on, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, and then the next verse, stand firm then. So what does he say? What is the way we fight? We put on our armor and we Stand and then we stand and then we stand and then we stand again. What in the world? He's inviting us to allow him to fight on our behalf. To be still, put on your armor and then stand there and watch the power of God. The reason you're beat up and losing so many battles is because you're not allowing God to fight on your behalf. He's saying, be patient. Just stand and watch what I'm about to do. Let God do the fighting for you. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, the Apostle Paul says it. Since for though we live in the world, we don't wage war the way the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and and make it obedient to Christ. What are the weapons of our warfare? Well, here's what we know. They're countercultural. He says they're not the weapons of this world. So we don't fight fire with fire. We don't raise the level of rhetoric to the level of the rhetoric of the culture. No, we stand firm. We fight with love. We fight with peace. We fight with hope. It's a counterintuitive way to live. Verse eight, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. Refrain from anger. Refrain from anger. Man, it's tough today. It's tough sledding out there, isn't it? Man, just read a news cycle and your blood starts boiling. You get all fired up and you're like, oh, something needs to change. (laughs) He says refrain from anger. Because here's the deal. Light shines brightest in the dark. He's inviting us to step in, to stand still and allow him to shine his light. Verse 27, we're almost done. Turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. Turn from evil. First Thessalonians 5.22. It says reject every kind of evil. King James Version says um, flee the very appearance of evil. Yes. So too many of us use this book as a how close can I get to the line without going over? What if that's not the point? 
Maybe it should be more like, how close to Jesus can I get? And I flee the very appearance of evil. I'm not even asking the question, how far is too far? It's not even a question. It's not even a question is, well, you know, Jesus drank wine. <laughs> so dumb. All right, so, uh, um, so we, we flee the very appearance of evil. And here, this, I'm not saying drinking is wrong. I just think sometimes we just uh, reveal our gods by how hard we defend things. It's like, why are you so defensive about that? In a lot of areas. Okay, verse 37. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. A future awaits those who seek peace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Children of God that receive a spiritual inheritance because they're pouring water on situations, not gasoline. Peacemakers. Okay, so we see this clash of two kingdoms. We see that it seems like evil is crashing in and winning at every turn. And, and, and even in the moments when we see that it seems like evil is winning, the psalmist David tells us, hey, listen, evil has a shelf life. It's got a shelf life. I'm inviting you to check out of looking at everything that's wrong with the world and to move toward inheriting the land living in to this kingdom inheritance, taking hold of that thing that's already yours as a follower of Jesus. And so here are three things that I want you to think about. Number one, evil has no future. Evil has no future. The kingdoms, standards, patterns of the world are destined to fail. Don't believe the hype. He's a defeated foe. Number two, the way of Jesus plays the long game. So if the way of evil is do what feels right, get what you can while you can, the way of Jesus plays the long game. It's the way of patience. It's the way of quiet confidence, of hoping in the Lord, even when everything seems like it's moving in the wrong direction. I'm willing to sit, be still, be quiet. Remain faithful, consistent, generous, because the reward is eternal. Then finally, number three, a kingdom inheritance comes through countercultural living. I trust I delight, I commit, I stand still, I wait patiently, I flee from anger, I flee from even the appearance of evil. I pursue peace and find my refuge, not in the safety the world offers, but in Jesus. I live a life from him, and from him, he's opening my eyes to the kingdom inheritance that's mine. And I can live into that, and that's what changes the world. So Jesus, we want to be people of the way. We want to be people that are transforming the world. We want to be known not as people that are gripped by fear, 
and tend to talk about everything that's wrong in the world. I, I pray against a, a church that are known by what we're against, but we would be known by what we're for, what we're pursuing and what we're promoting. That we would be looking toward living this spiritual inheritance, a kingdom inheritance, where we own the land and we're taking the territory that the enemy has tried to steal. Maybe today this is a good gut check in your life that you recognize that as you think about these characteristics, maybe you say, man, I'm struggling in several of those. Maybe this is a, a good thing for you to take into the secret place with Jesus and say, Jesus, I need to be transformed in this area. Maybe you tend to spend most of your time afraid. And out of that fear, you're just telling the world what we need to be afraid of. Maybe today, the size of your God begins to grow as you begin to trust him and commit your way to him. Jesus, we are so grateful for the cross. We're grateful for that moment in time when you conquered the enemy. You conquered death, sin, hell. You purchased our pardon. You gave us freedom through your shed blood. And every time we take communion, we remember your broken body and your shed blood. And so I would encourage you as you take communion today, uh, get with your friends and family and uh, remember the wafer represents his broken body, the juice, his shed blood. And he did it for you and he did it for me to restore us and to give us this kingdom inheritance that we can live into. So take communion and then we'll close together just a moment. If the mountains will wear you high, oh how far skill the valley? 
In the highlands and the heart 